0: The following message is by a guest speaker of Emmanuel Community Church. More information about the ministry of Emmanuel Community Church can be found online at www.emmanuelcommunity.org. It is good to be with you this morning. I'm so fascinated how God works. I'm just in awe of how He works in every single way, and and just quieting our hearts and listening and leaning into that just reminds us. Uh, Here's how God works in my life. When I when I want to go speak to when God provides an opportunity to speak at a a, for any group of women here uh, um, with singles uh, you know all the opportunities God has given me, I I feel like how He speaks to me is through passages of Scripture. So so I pray. This is how I start. I'm being very honest with you. I opened my Bible. When Peter said to me, "Hey, will you come speak to our woman I said, "Sure." We got the date on the calendar. We put it in about a month ago. We just I just basically sit and I open the Word and I just pray. God, what do you want me to bring to this group of women? And I never know, you know. Now, I don't have a canned talk. People are always like, Do you have a talk that you always give? On my website, if you go, there's like a list of Talks And the reason they're there is because people live in a box and they want to know, well, who are you and what do you speak? And, and so it helps them. But honestly, I don't think I've given a single talk specifically on the titles that are there. They're just ideas of the type of things that I talk about. And so I laugh. I went to a conference recently and, and, and the title that they assigned me, it was so funny because I opened the, the materials for the conference. And I saw my talk and I saw the title and it said like vertical identity. And I was like, dude, that is such a great title. Wow. And I thought, I thought, I said to the lady, I said, hey, I'm so, I love this title. It's so good. How did you come up with it? She goes, we got it on your website. <laughs> I was laughing so much because I'm sure I've talked about that topic in some sense. And so, so it wasn't like I was lying. I mean, don't think I was a Christian website. I wasn't like lying to them. But, but the idea is that it's just, I just seek the Lord and, I, and, and, and he doesn't give me a title of a message. He gives me a chapter in a book that he has written for us. And so I'm always intrigued as I approach a group of people because I, I don't know coming into it kind of what God has planned and who the people are or how it's going to play out, but but inevitably, 10 out of 10 times, I'm not joking, I show up and I have a passage and it matches perfectly where that church is, where the need is, and I, I just love that. And and even preparing it, I, I don't always see that. I'm just kind of preparing in faith. And so for you guys, as I was looking into this day today, the passage that God just put on my heart, and I was like, this is it, and I didn't know what I was going to say about it, but it was First Samuel chapter 1, so I'm going to ask you, if you have your Bibles to turn there, I'm going to read it in a minute, and um, and you know, it's true, I have a book that just came out called Resolved, and so my mind is kind of thinking of resolve, and what we want to resolve, and, and you know, sometimes people are like, well, your, your, your book came out two weeks ago, so you're going to talk about your book, and the answer is no, I mean, not really, I'm going to talk about the Lord, and I might kind of talk about the book, but, but I'm going to think, about the topic today in terms of resolve, I want us to leave and have 45 minutes into the, or whatever long it is, into the small group time or the discussion time that we have planned for for us together and really think about what is it that God is going to put on your heart to resolve as it comes to prayer. I want to talk about prayer in 1 Samuel chapter 1, but, but I called the message really that I have that I think the Lord would have for us this morning is this, stronger than my doubt, stronger than my doubt. Let me tell you about how my week went. And I I, and we walk through kind of the passage. I'm going to read the chapter in a minute, and it is an awesome story, by the way. I think it's cool that we have a baby. Where's the baby back there? Two months old, and we're going to lead up to the birth of a baby in First Samuel one. And I think that will. uh, I think you'll find it interesting as a new mother to kind of put yourself in Hannah's shoes. But but here's the thing. I mean, when you think about 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 our life in the Christian in in as Christians in the world. So so I had a very interesting week. I I had some you know ministry related activities, and I had my work related activities. And in the midst of it, I have my home, I have a little home in Mount Prospect, and I have a beautiful yard, and, and it's, I've worked on my yard, I like the outdoors a lot, and so I have these, like, the guy came and about a couple years ago, I had him a- expand the, they're not tiles, what do you call them outside, they're like bricks, okay, so it's cool, but what he did, he was lazy, and I was cheap, so instead of doing cement, so instead of doing cement under, it's like grass under, and so the moss comes, yeah, right, it's awful, I need a prayer service for the moss, and so, but the moss is not half my problem. The bigger problem is I've got this huge tree that kind of lays, you know, kind of, I've already, you know, cut it down before somewhat, and now it's grown again. It grows like crazy. I mean, my yard is the most animal-friendly yard. It's just everything sprouts. I have a rose bush that I have done nothing. In fact, I, ch- I cut it to the, to the tilt last year. I haven't even watered it, and it has like a bazillion roses on it. I don't know how. It's like magic in my yard. But, but the problem is the birds love the yard. And so, so, so I have these chairs that I got at Sears about five years ago, and they've got the cloth seats, and they say all-weather, all-weather. All-weather means rain. All-weather does not mean poop. Okay, all weather does not mean, oh, the birds are going to go on this and it's going to be fine. So, so now you guys can thought I have a little OCD. I'm a little intense. I'm like, Bzz. and so, so literally like, like I noticed about a month ago as winter left and the spring came that those birds are like crazy. Like they love my yard and they sit in the tree and they just poop and poop and poop and poop. And so, so, so in the last two weeks, it's become unbearably hard to be in my yard. And, so, and I love to sit outside after work. So I come home from work and first thing I do, I go to the chairs and I'm like, oh, no, I'm so discouraged. And so then I thought, you know, let me fix them. This is not a problem. This is all weather. So I get the palm olive dish soap. Someone told me that works, and water, and scrub, scrub, scrub. Then I need the sun to dry them up, and of course that, that doesn't work that well because the birds keep pooping. So I happened to be at Ace this week. I went to Ace Hardware, and they—I saw this bottle inadvertently. I was there to shop for something else, and I saw this bottle, and it said like clean up for the, you know, all you know for the patio furniture. So I bought it, and I went back home because again, of course, I came home two hours later, and there's bird poop. And just clean for a minute, it looked clean. But, you know, when you do that it's five, six, seven times, it doesn't matter how much you clean them. It's like now it's starting to show, right? So then, so then I get the hose, and I wash them all down because it's all weather. And so now they're sopping wet with, like, cleanup, you know. And so the sun comes, and they look a little bit better. So then my mom said, what about doing a, a string? So I get this, like, nylon string. You guys, I mean, am I not, like, is this not awesome? So I have every trick in the book. If you guys were like, we have the same problem. Now you have all these ideas. None of them work. So, so I get a string. And I attach it, and like, I'm not a great string attacher in the yard, so it's like loose after three hours, so I'm tightening it up, and so I'm working, this is this week, all of this, this week, you guys are like, man, you need a life, you need to like get married and have kids so you don't have time to worry about all these things, but it's not happening, this is my focus, and so I go to work, I come home, all my friends know, all my community knows, my sister, like, they text me, how are the birds, how are the seats, and I'm like, I'm so stressed about it, I'm so stressed, so finally, I'm at work Thursday, I have two day shifts, and so there's time to kill in the morning, it's a little slow in the ER. Tip, By the way, those of you who have kids, you want to go to t- t- go in the morning. It's slow. As soon as the ER opens, that's the time to take your kids and go. You know, if you're just waiting for the perfect time, don't go in the afternoon. Everybody comes at six at night, and you'll be there for hours. But if you go in the morning, in and out. So I'm there sitting, and then I think, oh, I know, I should order new cushions because I'm seeing by now that this problem's not going anywhere. So I'm like working around it. So I do. I get on the Sears site because I'm worried. What do you think I'm worried about? They're gonna go out of stock, and then there won't be cushions for what I want. So I literally, I bought new cushions. They're coming in the mail. And still the problem persists. And I was thinking about that, you know, today and yesterday as I've kind of been thinking about you guys. And I thought, isn't this how we often approach our Christian life? Problems are coming all the time. I mean, you can't, it's just they're coming. I mean, you, you can chop the tree down. You can buy the soap. You can, it's just they're coming and they're coming and they're coming. And so what do we do? We just keep escalating our efforts. Oh, the soap didn't work. I'll go buy the stuff at the Ace. Oh, the Ace didn't work. I'll go get the cord. Oh, the cord didn't work. I know. I'll just replace the cushions because we just want to be ready for whatever it is that, we, that might come our way. Do you know that in the last two weeks, it did not occur to me one time to stop and pray about the birds? <laughs> now, you might say, well, that's a silly thing. Is it, is it, is it occupied 80% of my brain this week? Some of you here today have problems that are much more significant than bird poop. On Thursday, I had, had a quite a day in the ER. It's, uh, it's so here miss in the ER, but on Thursday, I had a, a five-week-old baby that needed a surgery. Came in from the doctor's office, a minor surgery. And it's interesting when you're telling the family, man, this is just a minor surgery, not a big deal. It's a surgery in a five-week-old, it's like keeping a percent. You know, you lose sight sometimes as doctors. And another kid that came in with belly pain and fever ended up with 300 milliliters of fluid around his heart we would have sent him home was it not for god's grace prompting us to do certain tests that i normally wouldn't have done and then i had another two-year-old or three-year-old girl who came in because her parents just noticed that her eyes were crossing and was sent down to children's for a new diagnosis of a brain tumor see some of us are dealing with problems that seem small in comparison like the bird poop in the yard and and we don't know what to do about them we think well god isn't going to bother with that and and yet others of us have problems that are much more significant, like a child who was just diagnosed with something that's going to take over the family's life. But you know what amazes me is whether it's bird poop or whether it's cancer, God cares about each and every one of our needs. It amazes me that he didn't just bother with the leper and with the blind and with the person missing his hand and with the seizing kids and with the person who had the issue of blood. Those weren't the only needs that he tended to when he was here on this earth, but that Jesus in his grace also went to a wedding and arranged to have wine when they ran out of wine. That the crowd was hungry and Jesus cared enough to feed them instead of saying, go feed yourselves. There's a Chick-fil-A down the street. They're Christians, too. Two birds, one stone. We serve a God who cares about our needs, and yet and yet, so few of us really pray. I'm intrigued because I was at breakfast and found out that you guys have a prayer meeting that lasts, I think, five or six hours on Friday mornings. Did you guys even know that? I don't want to, to, to embarrass anyone, but someone at my table from this church was equally as equally surprised as I was. We were like, what? Six hours? And in my mind, I was like, dude, how did it do this? Do they not have a life. (laughs) They were like, we had so much fun. We eat and we play with our kids and we pray and we, six hours. And I was like, we have audience in front of the king. Woe to us that we don't see the need, that we don't feel the urge, that we can look at our culture in 2016 and not run to the church for a six-hour prayer meeting are living in days that are incomparable i i don't care what happened in the roman era i know that they were sexually promiscuous that things happened there that were crazy i i I would argue that our time right now is closer to the coming of jesus than ever before the things that are happening right now in our world are are beyond understanding not only are things happening on the streets but they're not in our home through this little screen that your kids can't stop staring at, that we can't stop staring at. It's, it's there in front of us. We can say, well, we try to block it. We can't block certain things. It's in our spirits. We have to fight against it. It's a fight. We wage war. And so when I read about someone like Hannah in 1 Samuel chapter 1, I'm going to read you the story, and I'm going to give you four points. And, and, I, and I called this stronger than my doubt because if it is doubt that is keeping you from prayer today, I guarantee you that God has a plan and he is stronger than your doubt. If you're not sure whether God cares about the bird on your patio, let me be the one to tell you today that God is stronger than your doubt. And so here's Hannah. She has a problem. Let me start reading in verse 1. There was a certain man of Ramatham, Zophim, of the hill country of Ephraim, whose name was Elkanah, the son of Jeroham, son of Elihu, son of Tohu, son of Zoph. An Ephrathite. And sometimes we wonder why God gives us all of those lists. And there's reasons for all of these things, by the way. But I like to remember that because behind every person who's listed in Scripture is a mother and a father and a family and a line. And you might feel today that you might not be that significant. You are significant. Who knows who God is bringing in your family? We forget about that. We just think, we know about Samuel. We know who Samuel is. We know who Moses is. We know who David is. But we forget that God uses every one of us in history. We are part of his story. The worship leaders were reminding us of that this morning. You have a place in God's plan. I don't know what it is. I don't know how he intends to use you. But you are involved in God's perfect story. I can't wait till heaven so we can find that out. There's a man somewhere in our heaven called Elihu and Tohu and Zuf and, and they're listed in the word of God. I can't tell you a thing about them, but God knows them. And God knows all about them. And so, so here's this Elkanah. Now he had a little problem. He had two wives. A lot of people in the Old Testament did, which doesn't mean that it was God's plan. It was not a good thing. But the name was one the, of the one was Hannah and the name of the other Penina. And Penina had children, listen, listen, but Hannah had no children. What is it that you bring to the table today that is your burden, that is your need? For some of you, that very thing is it. Others around you have children and you don't. Others around you are growing their families and you don't. For others of you, it's not really childlessness, but maybe you're single and you never thought you'd be single at your age. Maybe you have a wayward son or daughter and you never thought that they would choose that lifestyle that you're so against. You thought you taught them better. What is it that you bring to the table that I get emails from people every week. They're looking for jobs. They're educated. They're graduate students and they can't find jobs. Years have gone by. Others around them eat and live and flaunt it on Facebook and their heads are down and where's God? Where's God? What is it that you bring to the table today that is just a little bit past your ability to fix? Say, how long did this problem go by? A long time. It says, now this man used to go up year by year from his city to worship and to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh. By the way, these were believers. Believers. These were people who believed in God Almighty. They, they planned their year around, around the Lord. They went and they prayed and they prayed and they prayed and, 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 and they would go. And he, he was, it says that to sacrifice to the Lord of hosts at Shiloh, where the, the two sons of Eli, Hophni and Phinehas, were priests of the Lord. On the day when Elkanah sacrificed, he would give portions to Penina, his wife, and to all her sons and daughters. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, though the Lord had closed her womb. I want to give you the first. I have just four points I want to give you. And here's the first. Prayer is hardest when God doesn't seem to answer. Prayer is hardest when God doesn't seem to answer. You know, it's funny. I grew up in, in Lebanon. I, I got saved when I was a child in church. My mom told us about Jesus, and I accepted him in my heart. I did it for about two weeks maybe every night. I would ask Jesus to come to my heart. When she finally explained, you don't have to do it a lot of times. He really heard you the first time. But I came to Christ, and I had an awareness that he was living in me, that I was supposed to read my Bible, obey, the basic things, that the Spirit of God wakens in you. And, and when I was 15, I, I moved to the United States, to Green Bay, Wisconsin, don't ask you. And they're like, what? Beirut to Green Bay? Yeah, that's what we did. Yeah, we didn't grow up in Lebanon, Indiana. We grew up in Lebanon, Lebanon. And then we moved to Green Bay. And my dad was a surgeon there and had a job that God had provided for us. And, and God in his divine providence had put us about an hour from a camp. And I would that first year, I was a senior in high school. I graduated high school early. I went to camp to a leadership and ministry preparation camp. I think my parents just wanted to get rid of us for the summer. So they sent us all to camp week after week. I ended up going to camp like six weeks that summer. But that summer... God really got a hold of my heart. Something happened when what you told us in the worship where we took time out and gave God our attention. And now we were in a place where they didn't have TV, didn't have radio. They, well, they didn't have a radio. They played Christian songs on it all the time. It was like, it was like they were programming us, but it was God's way. <laughs> and one night I remember the word of God preached. I don't remember what was spoken, but I remember I went out after the service and it was a dark night. And I stood on a rock and I just had such a sense of God's closeness. And I really think back at that time and how pure my my faith in God was. I, I really believe God can do anything. And I believe that God wanted to do everything in my life. I changed my plan instead of going to the public college that I was planning on going to. I, I picked the Christian college that my camp counselor had gone to was at. And I, 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 it was miraculous how God had already preordained that I had applied there. My mom tricked me. She made me apply there. I never had an intention to go there. I didn't know all the rules they had at that college. It was like one of those things where, where because I wanted her off my back, I had applied there. And now, eight months later, I found myself at a camp where God had stirred my heart and I wanted to be all about him. And I thought, well, if you want to be all about him, I guess you go to Christian college. So I went to that Christian college, and, and, I, and I, I just was like very typical in those years. I would pray. God, and tests would come, the MCATs, the finals, and I would be like, God, if you want me to be a doctor, then I did my best. Now you do the rest, and God would deliver. And it was like kind of that thing where I prayed, I did my part, and God would deliver. And, and I had a simple faith back then, and I prayed, and, and I saw God deliver. But you know what? I hadn't learned to doubt yet. I remember exactly when I started to question God. I uh, grew up in a home where we weren't allowed to date until we finished college. My dad was adamant. You get a degree, you finish school. My dad is a doctor. He wanted us to get higher education. and So I finished uh, uh, undergrad and, and, and we were like, Dad, can we date now? He goes, no, I meant college, college. Like when you finish all your college. And he was paying for our school as the Lebanese do. And so that meant four more years of med school. And honestly when you're in med school, you don't have that much time to date so it didn't really matter. But, but honestly no one was asking me out. So I can't really, like it was a good excuse. Like my dad doesn't want me to date. But all this to say, I found finished med school, went down to my residency, and now I had all my schooling done technically. And so I met someone, and we fell in love, and we thought. And then two weeks before the wedding, we ended up breaking up the engagement. But what had happened was that I really, there was more chemistry than there was true falling in love. There was a guy that I had met at college, and for 10 years, he was my best friend. And everyone thought we would get married. And it took me getting engaged to another guy to finally understand that he was the one that my heart wanted. I remember one time before the engagement ended that I, w- I was down in Houston doing my residency at Texas Children's Hospital. There was this ugly bayou. That's the body of water in Houston that they all rave about. It's like this little, basically, it almost looks like a, like a sewer, but it's a bit more generous than a sewer. It's their bayou. They got like a path. No offense if you're a Houstonian. I loved Houston, but they're not known for their water bodies. Anyway, I, I, I remember going out running on that bayou, and, and, and by then, God had, had, I mean, I was, you know, you're like two weeks before the wedding. You're like, I think I need to make a decision now, and I think I'm making making the biggest mistake of my life. And I, uh, I felt the Lord say, Lena, he's, this isn't the guy that I had for you. There's this other, you know, the, the best friend. Is... And I, I really felt God speak to me about that and came home, opened my Bible, found the verse to support my theory. That's when we do that in the Christian life. So I ended the engagement. It was a mutual ending, but really I felt so confident at that point that God was going to restore the other relationship where the guy had been interested in me, but of course a guy kind of loses interest when you get engaged to another person. And what I thought God would redeem, God did not. He went on to marry a common friend that we had. Thank God there was no Facebook at the time. Because I guarantee you that if there was, every time I would have looked at Facebook, I would have had a Penina moment. Look at the flowers in our wedding. Look at the meals, invitations. Look at our honeymoon pictures. Constant reminders of what you want and can't have unkind people, sometimes in Penina's case it was intentionally unkind but sometimes it's not intentional. But when you don't have the thing that you think you, God wanted for you it becomes hard to see those constant reminders. In fact Elkanah would say to his wife, Hannah, I love you. I love you so much. And he would give her a double portion. He's like, isn't that enough? And I find that in those moments when we face those decisions where, where what we want the most, our deepest desires aren't answered. God seems so distant, and, and, and we're, we're just kind of cut off from him. Even blessings go unnoticed and leave us empty. Hannah had a lot of blessings, but she couldn't see them because there was one thing blinding her eyes, and it was the fact that she had no children. And I think sometimes in our humanness, we want to kind of ignore that and we want spiritually to be like, well, honey, don't you see how God has done for you? Give a list of praise. Here's a journal. Write down 10 things God is going to be buzzing you with and boom, you're supposed to change and go from sad to happy when, when the very hurt in your heart is that God, but I want that thing and you put that in my heart. And for some of you, you even have a verse to go along with it. So what do you do in those moments? I love, I love, I love that God uses the story of Hannah to remind us that he's not a God who isn't aware of our need. Here's a second point. God is at work when nothing seems to be happening. God is at work in your life right now, even though it seems like nothing is happening. God is at work in your life right now, even though it seems like nothing is happening. God is at work in your life right now, even though it seems like nothing is happening so here's Hannah. She's praying, and, I, and I, I've thought about this all week long. She's praying for a son, but God is preparing a prophet. She's praying for, for a temporary thing. She wants a healing in her own little wounded, hurtedness. And God's like, I got a bigger plan here going on. I'm preparing a Samuel. And had he just given her a pregnancy, and had he just been like, here, there's a baby, and no stress, no perseverance, no hurt, and coming to God, which we're going to read in a minute, saying, God, if you give me a son, I'll give him back to you. Had there not been that moment, there would not have been a Samuel sitting at age four or five, as soon as he was weaned from the breast, in a chapel with Eli, learning to be a prophet. See, our prayers are way too small, ladies. Our prayers are so small, they're focused on me, myself, and I summer after I left my residency, I was, I, was, um, I was hurt. I was wounded. I felt betrayed by God. I was disappointed. I remembered how God had spoken to me back at camp and how I had given him my life. And, and I thought, God, I gave you everything. I'd been pure in my dating relationship. Not sinless, but pure as pure I can be in that age. And I was like god how, I was I loved the Lord I was telling people about Jesus I'd gone to a Christian college and I felt so betrayed by God. I remember I landed in Jacksonville in a new town for my fellowship and and uh, I didn't know anyone in that town and it was kind of another story. I'll have to come back and tell you the story of how I ended up there but 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 God opened up a miraculous way for me to go do my fellowship in pediatric ER and and I landed there fully thinking that God would still redeem that relationship. The guy wasn't married yet. I would come home from my fellowship and I would sit in uh, the living area, sparsely furnished, really kind of pathetic college look. And there's this, in, in Jacksonville, there was this body of water, man-made ponds. I, they're not, a pond is a, kind of like a bayou <laughs> in front of my apartment. <laughs> and and in Florida, the crickets would be like our cicadas. And the, imagine coming home from work, and I wouldn't even have the energy to turn the light on. I would just sit in that living room. And, of course, all day at work, I'd be fun, happy-go-lucky, ER, you know, center of the attention, because... I'm fun, and and then I would come home, and the truth would come out, and I would sit in the living area, and just kind of wonder, God, what in the world just happened? How how could you do that to me? It took a few months, I would say, before I was able to snap out of that mode. One day, God sent, it's funny, because in a moment, we're going to see how Eli came into Hannah's life, and In some ways, God sent me an Eli. It was in the form of three elderly ladies from the church that I had visited. And I used to drive 40 minutes to go to church. Many of you commute here from church. And at the time, I I had been told about this Bible-believing church. And there were probably other closer churches, but I used to go to that church. And I remember we used to fill these visitor cards while on a very stormy, rainy October night in Florida and it rains like crazy over there and these th- knock on my door came and nobody knew I lived there so no one would come to me at first I was nervous but then I looked and I noticed these three old people I thought what could they do to me nothing I <laughs> think I could take them and so I opened the door and, and and they introduced themselves they were from the church and I couldn't believe I could not believe that that these people would drive 40 minutes to visit a single new person in their church they had no reason to that ended up being the pivotal switch In my brain, I was still reading my Bible regularly, but something happened after that where I felt like God knew. It was like a reminder, I'm here. I haven't forgotten you. I see you. And I got three old people from that church who drove 40 minutes to you in a a rainstorm and agreed to come in for a cup of tea and to sit on your one sofa stayed there for 40 minutes. I ended up going to that Sunday school class. Listen, listen God is at work even when you see him working. I, I started going to that Sunday school class, and there were about 10 of us in that class, mostly over 60. I was the only one younger than 60. At one point, a few months after that, the lady who was the teacher, she was one of the three who visited me, asked me to give a testimony of just my salvation. Up until that point, I had done some public speaking. I mean, I, I had spoken at a graduation thing at my med school. I mean, nothing really big, but, but I enjoyed it. But, I, but all my Bible stuff had been in home groups. I would have a Bible study in my house, and we would talk about the Word together. This was the first time I was really given a chance to get up and share something about God in my life. And, and, and I, I think it was horrible, but, but about two weeks later, I was ambushed. I was ambushed, and the lady came back and said, You know what? I'm going. My husband feels called to go be the pastor of this church. So we have no more Sunday school teacher. And we all think you did such a good job at the testimony. And then I knew they were like really senile, right? Like, yeah, right. And they were like, like, there's eight people left in the class, and all of them are over 60. We want you to be the teacher. That's how my Bible study teaching day started. And when I, as I started week by week taking God's Word and, and opening it and coming up with lessons, it's like, first of all, I could no longer pay attention to my own misery while the other guy was getting married. Now I had something that I needed to do every week, and I fell in love with teaching the Word. I did not predict at that point that someday I would write a book for singles. I didn't predict that 10 years later, I didn't talk. By the way, this story that I just told you about the guy that I was on, I did not talk about it for 10 years it didn't come out of my mouth. If people ask me, do you date? Yeah, I was engaged once done. I never even referred to the other story. I was ashamed. I was ashamed and I was broken. And 10 years it took. And then when I moved to Chicago, I ended up getting engaged again. And I thought, oh, God is so good. Now it's going to be a great story. And of course, because that's how we think humanly. Like we pray and God provides and then we pray. And then, and then everything eventually is going to turn out fine because we're all Christians. And that's what happens. And, and, and it will But sometimes, but sometimes, not until heaven. I'll point that out in Hebrews chapter 11 shortly. But for me, when I got engaged that second time, I had still this horizontal look like God was going to fix my problem now. And it's going to be such an awesome God story. We're going to talk about it. See, I got engaged and it broke off, but then God provided. And I got broken that engagement again. And I thought, oh boy, now you're that person. Try going out, try dating when you've broken off two engagements. It's hard enough for a single woman if you've never dated or gotten engaged. But imagine if now you have in your history, now how do you explain two broken engagements? So I stand before you still single today. But but But, but here's what God did. I started writing a blog around that time. It was right when... I was at Harvest teaching. I hadn't become the women's ministry director yet, but as, but shortly after I broke off that second engagement, God opened a chance because by now, just 10 years had passed. I had been teaching the word. God had called me to ministry. A life was forming. The work that God had prepared for me had formed. God was at work, even though it didn't seem like he was doing anything. He was stronger than my doubt. One day, I used to blog regularly at the time. Seven days a week, I was blogging. I can't even imagine doing that now, but... But as part of my training to be a writer, you don't just write books, you blog daily for five, seven, eight years. One day I got an email from a lady at Moody I thought was a spam. We were talking at breakfast about how I think everything is spam. I've probably thrown away. I've been probably proposed to. I've probably been offered many jobs. I'm probably supposed to be an ambassador somewhere, but but I spammed it. Who knows who stands before you today? It's all in my spam. So I thought this thing was spam. I put it in my delete, and then I got to work at Harvest, and my assistant, Bonnie, was sitting up front. I go, Bonnie, I don't know what prompted me to think of it. And I said, Bonnie, I don't know. I think I got this thing from Moody today, but I thought it was. She goes, pull it up. Let me read it. You have to know my assistant. She's so no-nonsense. I pull it up I let her read it from my trash. And she's like, you dumb-dumb. That's a real publisher. They're really interested in working with you on a book. And here's what the email said. The email was this. Have you ever thought about writing a book on singleness? That was my introduction to writing books. I'd never, God has witnessed, I'd never thought about it or desired it. I didn't want to be that sing- In fact, I didn't go to singles ministry. I fell into women's ministry because I didn't want to be that person who's the single in singles ministry. But it was clear God had formed this story. Who can write a book on singleness but a person who's been engaged twice, broken off a wedding two weeks before the actual wedding, whose heart was broken by a third party? Who can write about self-pity and bitterness and idolatry better than someone who's walked through those valleys? See God is at work even when it seems like he's not working. When Hannah's heart year after year was stirred for the Lord. What year after year Elkanah would say, aren't you? Look at all the blessings. Look at all the good things. And she was like, I can't. I just want a son. I just want a son. And that one year, she says in verse 9, after they had eaten and drunk in Shiloh, here's Hannah heartbroken, devastated, hurt and wounded by her own family. And that's where often the pain comes with people who are closest to you, who know you the best, who know which buttons to press in your life. Isn't that the truth? And so here's Hannah. She's completely distressed. In verse 10 it says she was deeply distressed and prayed to the Lord and wept bitterly and she vowed a vow and said O Lord of hosts if you will indeed look on the affliction of your servant and remember me and not forget your servant but will give to your servant and son then I will give him to the Lord all the days of his life and no razor shall touch his head who prays a prayer like this but someone who is utterly desperate who prays to surrender to God everything but one who has reached the bottom of the pit and sees no way out I saw you with the baby earlier in the breakfast, and I thought, what if she was asked to give him up to Peter Cho? (laughs) Peter. You guys be like, what? Don't give him to Peter. It going to be crazy. What if he she went to Peter in two years and said, Peter, here he is. I promise him to the Lord and I'll visit him once a year. I'm moving now. I'm moving downtown. I have no car. You guard him. You bring him up in the ways of the Lord. Y'all know Eli. Eli's sons were not special sons. They were not godly sons. They were wicked sons. And yet that is the person that God was like, you're going to give Samuel to Eli. Who gets to that point but someone who is utterly desperate for God to move when you get to the place where your doubt is so big and you understand that only God is stronger than your doubt then you pray prayers of surrender like that look I'm not saying that every mom should pray that God would take her son and yet shouldn't every mother pray that God would take her son maybe not to Peter Cho in a church but maybe in the walls of your own home have you moms given your kids to the Lord you are like hands off God they're yours they're not mine, they're yours. Have you, singles, looked at your jobs and at your friendships and at your ministries? Maybe you're like me and you have a heart for ministry. Have you looked at those things and said, God, they're not mine, they're yours? It says that in verse 12, as she continued praying before the Lord. I wanna give you the third point. The first was prayer is hardest when God doesn't seem to answer. Second, God is at work when nothing seems to be happening. And here's the third perseverance is the secret when quitting is an option. Do you know, we could all quit. When I first started writing my blog for the first, I'm not joking, 10 years, my mom is a saint, My mom is honestly a saint. I told some stories about her earlier. She's the reason I am who I am in the Lord, without a doubt. I got saved by the testimony of my mom. I watched her read her Bible. We were four crazy kids. They all have as much energy as I do. I'm probably the craziest. But imagine a home with four kids within five years. She had a miscarriage and four kids in five years. And so here she is in Lebanon, a land of war. My dad was a surgeon. He was never home. She brought us up. We were crazy people. And and here, she would leave us every day. She was a stay-at-home. She was a pharmacist, had a pharmacy that... That the guy ran and she just, her home was her focus. And we would see her morning after morning leave us for about 20 minutes. Some days needed 35 minutes. But for the most part, about 20 minutes, she would shut the door to her room and open the word and read. I wake up sometimes when I go visit her now at 6 in the morning. and There's not a day where she wakes up after me. There's not a day. I don't understand how moms do that. You moms, I don't understand it. But every day, no matter when I wake up, she's already up at the desk reading her Bible. My dad passed away last summer. People ask me, how is she doing? Oh, you know, it's hard. It has its moments. But one thing hasn't changed in her life. I watch her open her book and read her Bible. And in those years, those 10 years when I started writing my blog, every day I would write it. And, and listen, everybody else's blogs grew about 100 times faster than mine. But that's not true, but that's how it felt. Some of you who have businesses, everybody's businesses seem to be doing better than yours. You come to church, everybody's small groups seem to be having more revival than yours. Everybody's kids seem to be doing better than yours. Everybody's bank accounts seem to be, it's always like you just can't see the people who aren't. I mean, who else had, like only 100 people maybe getting a book offer, but I'm focused on the bazillion, you know, I don't care about the things that are like, like I'm better than them. I look at the one or two or three that had a blog that exploded into thousands. So every few months, Without fault, I would pick up the phone and call my mom and say, Mom, I'm quitting the blog, which the blog at the time was the ministry. There was no books. There was no church job. It was the blog. Every few months, I'd be like, man, I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. I want to quit. And they'd be like, just give it a little bit longer. Just give it a little bit longer. Just pray one more time. I think about Hannah. What if she had opted off that year? What if instead of going up with Elkanah, what if she had said, I'm done? God, I'm done. You are God. You want to give me a son? You give him. I don't care. It's your job. It's your thing. I'm good. I'm good. And so instead of choosing to risk and pray boldly, what if she had lived in the safety of no prayer? I asked a girl at work yesterday who's a Christian who has been growing like crazy in the past few years. And she, she's a lovely, awesome friend of mine. And, and I've seen her grow. And I said to her yesterday, I was praying, about, I was asking her, just picking her brains, trying to. Kinda tease out this this lesson. I said, Deanna, I said, help me out. Help me, help me understand this." I said, "What do you want more than anything?" And she thought about it, gave me her answer, and 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 then I said, "You know, do you ever pray about your singleness?" She's a divorced mom of two, and if anyone needs help, it's her. Like she works so hard, and she's downsizing now from a two bedroom apartment to one. She's a nurse. She works her brains out. She can't afford the two bedroom. She sacrifices all the stinking time and loves Jesus and is trying to honor Him. And and I'm looking at her, and I'm like. ever pray about your singleness and honest in all honesty she says to me no and i laughed because i said yeah and kind of neither do i not that much it's not really a focus really and we're talking about what is our focus and 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 what we do pray about and and i and i wrote down some of the things in in our in our conversation because we i said but don't you want to be married she says yes she goes you know what i do and isn't this what we all do here's how we cope with doubt we simply lower our expectations We come to God and we don't pray about the things that matter the most because what if we did pray and God didn't answer? Now we got to deal with that mess. What if we did pray and God didn't give us the things that we wanted? And so instead of accusing God because we know better, we don't want him to curse the things that we have because we're in such a weird relationship with God, we just don't pray. So we pray about things that are sure. We pray about things for others. I have a lot more faith for your prayer request than I do for mine. And so we come to God with a barrier. You know, for 10 or 15 years after what happened with this guy back in Jacksonville, I gave God 95% of my heart. There were about 5% that I just held back. After I, 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 I no longer desired marriage as much. I mean, to me, it's take it or leave it if God has to... Really work hard to find someone that will meet my expectations at this point. No, I'm just kidding. No, I'm just teasing. No, but it's true. It's, it's not. Uh, but but I took all that energy that I had for a guy and I put it in ministry. And my dance for the past ten years has really been battling this idol of ministry. Who's more important, God or the gift? This morning I was reading. About Mephibosheth, and um, you know it's a crazy story. I, I wrote, I, I write about him in Resolved, and I'm about done with the lesson. I'm not even looking at the watch, which is kind of scary. But Peter told me I can go as long as I want to, and, and we can cut down the discussion time, so we'll be okay. You, your fault. You guys can blame the worship team. They want to be 20 minutes longer, right? No, just teasing. It was awesome. It was awesome. But so, um, but 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 um, what was I saying? Now you made me forget. See, gonna blame you. God's like, move on, move on, move on. What was I saying? Mephibosheth. Thank you. Do you know that Mephibosheth, I I write about him in Resolved in my second chapter called Love When It's Inconvenient, and I talk about how David reached out to Mephibosheth, who was a cripple, and he came and ate at the table of the king every day. But then, then, the story picks up for Mephibosheth. Do you know that David's son, you know the story, Absalom, uh, came against David, and there was a war, so David escaped the city, and, and Absalom had this overturn. And in that, you know, of course, God had predicted that because of David's sin, and so David comes back to town after winning the victory. Absalom dies, David's heartbroken. Honestly that's one of the most tragic stories in the Bible, in my opinion, but but David comes back and, and in all of that story, Mephibosheth remember he was a cripple, he couldn't leave with David well his Mephibosheth's servant tricked him. And so Mephibosheth's servant acted as if Mephibosheth didn't care about David. And he said to David during that exile time, he said to David, Mephibosheth is gone. You know, he, he, he left. And, and, and so, so David says, okay, you take all the land that was Mephibosheth. He kind of diverts it over to, to, the, to Ziba. And so now they come back to town. David's back in charge. Mephibosheth comes up. He was the guy who had received the grace of David, which was a picture of the grace of God. And so he comes up, and, and David says to him, like, how could you do that? And Mephibosheth is like, Ziba lied ziba lied and listen and david says this because he's promised ziba some land so he can't go back on that promise and so he says okay split the land between ziba and mephibosheth and humanly i hear that story and i'm kind of part of me is disgusted like god how could you let that happen mephibosheth was the one who was kind of it's his he didn't do this you know but you know what mephibosheth says do you know what mephibosheth says he says he can have it all i'm just happy you're back I'm just happy I have you. I don't care about the stuff. I, I want you, Lord. I want you, Lord. See, humanly speaking, we read the story of Mephibosheth and we get so caught up in this stuff. He was wrong. The land is his when God's like, I am so much better. That's the secret. When you pray and when when you have a Samuel and now you're coming to the Lord and you see prayer that is stronger than our doubt. And a, and a focus on a God who is stronger than our doubt understands that this God who gave Samuel is even so much better. I'm amazed that Hannah able to follow through. Now she has the boy. God, So let me read a few more verses here and then wrap up with the last thought. Perseverance. The secret when quitting is an option, that was point number three. And by the way, persevering prayer doesn't make sense to anyone. Eli thought she was drunk. She was moving her lips, and he was like, you lady, stop drinking. She's like, I'm not drunk. I'm pouring my heart. She says, I'm pouring out my soul before the Lord. So she says, do not regard, in verse 16, your servant as a worthless woman. For all along I've been speaking out of my great anxiety and vexation. Then Eli answered, go in peace, and the God of Israel grant your petition that you have made to him. All these years that she prayed, year after year after year, what changed that year? What changed that made her be like, because here's what she says. She said, let your servant find favor in your eyes. Then the woman went her way and ate and her face was no longer sad. See, here's the fourth point. Change is inevitable when we finally learn to pray. See, when we really pray, when we really give God our burdens, when we really believe that he is stronger than those things that we're afraid of, then we are completely changed. Joy becomes ours. Hope is alive. And everything changes. People around us see it. And the people in our families worship the Lord with us. She left the thing at the altar. And I keep thinking, what changed that year? I'm telling you, Eli showed up and looked at her and says, God has heard you. You ever been to a prayer meeting? Listen to me. You, I know you have. You guys pray for six hours. I'm sure you have. Ever been to a prayer meeting? And like you pray alone in your house and, and you pray and you're like, God, blah, 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 blah. And you worry your prayers to God and you pray, pray, pray. But then you get together with one person. There's a lady, was telling Kim, on my blog who connected with me two years ago. And every week or maybe two weeks, she calls me and we pray together. What is it about praying with someone else? Like, you feel like God has heard you more? Is it any wonder that he says where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am in the midst of them? I think that when Eli confirmed to her, God has heard you. Sometimes it's all I need is a reminder. Don't stop praying. God sees you. God knows you. God hears you. Friend, don't stop praying. What is your burden that you bring to the altar? Maybe you've prayed a million times before. Don't stop now. Don't stop praying. God is stronger than your doubt. When 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 Samuel was born, it says, and in due time. By the way, uh, you say how else did it change? Uh, well, well, waiting became easier because she started to act in faith. When she left that prayer, what did she do? She found Elkanah. She, she could have been like, God, you're just going to do it in your time. No, she got to work. And it says, in due time, God answered. But there was some act of faith that she had to take in order to, to get to the place where she would get pregnant. This was not a virgin birth. And so you see, see some of you, some of you and, and it is funny, but some of you, you need to act in faith in the areas that you're praying God in. And so if you're praying for ministry opportunities, you might need to start a blog. If you're praying for Bible study opportunities, start teaching a small group in your home. If you're praying that you get better at prayer, show up to the prayer meeting. What is it that is your deepest desire in your heart? You want kids? You don't have them. Start volunteering in the children's ministry. I hear that your children's ministry is growing at such a fast pace. Start acting in faith and put yourself in the areas and in the places that God wants you to be so that the miracle can happen. What is it that you need to resolve to do? What step of faith must you take? And then you say, man, well, how long will it take in due time? In due time, one of the most powerful verses in my life this season is in 1 Peter chapter 5, where it says, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, and in due season, he will lift you up. You just do your part today and wait on the Lord. After the baby's born, her Elkanah, her husband, you know, they go up to the worship, to the temple again. And 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 Elkanah's like, come on, let's go. And she says to him, uh, this is my translator, t- my translation, my short, my, my, I've run out of time. We're not going to read all the verses, version, version. But she basically says, uh, and she goes... Um, in verse 26, oh, my Lord. As she Actually, she waits. She tells Elkanah, I can't take him now. I'm going to wait till he's weaned. And then verse 26, he finally gets old enough, and she says to Eli, she brings up Samuel. Again, picture this little beautiful baby. In this case, a girl. I thought she was a boy, so we can fake it and say. And but, but it says, for this, church, for this child I prayed, and the Lord has granted me my petition that I made to him. Therefore, I have lent him to the Lord. As long as he lived, he is lent to the Lord, and he worshiped the Lord there. And that was it for a while. She gave up the son. She didn't know what would happen. This blows my mind, guys. This blows my mind. This is where our resolve has to come in. Have you ever promised God anything and just not followed through? You see, when you know, when you see that God is who he says he is and that God is our promise keeper, that he was the reason that Samuel was in her belly, that he was the reason that this boy was born and was healthy, she was able to give him to him. Well, she didn't see what was coming. Later, it says that year after year, she used to go up and make a dress for, or whatever they wore, linen ephod for Samuel. Samuel was ministering before the Lord in the next chapter, verse 18, a boy clothed with a linen ephod, and his mother used to make for him a little robe and take it to him each year when she went up with her husband to offer the yearly sacrifice. Year after year, now penina has got a bundle of kids, and she's given up Daniel to the Lord. And yet, how many of us can name Benina's kids? I have no idea whether she had a boy or a girl or ten. But I know Samuel. I've read his story. And I know that he was the one who met David, that he was the one who chose Saul, that God used him to be one of the most major prophets in Israel. And so Eli would bless Elkanah and his wife and say, May the Lord give you children by this woman for the petition she asked of the Lord. So then they would return to their home indeed the Lord visited Hannah and she conceived and she bore three sons and two daughters and the young man Samuel grew in the presence of the Lord listen God does above and beyond what we can ask or think We think we're giving him so much. We're like, here's my Samuel. He's like, you got five more kids coming. Find room for them. We think we're so good. We're like, man, look, Lord, I gave you above and beyond my paycheck this year. Listen, he's got more coming your way. If that is what he wants for you, he will give it to you. I have no idea what God has for your life. Some of you are here and you're skeptics. You're cynical and you're like, man, we prayed for healing and the kid died and we prayed for blessing and it didn't happen. What are you telling us? Are you preaching some kind of prosperity thing? And not at all. I am still single at 44. I am not promising you that God will do the thing that you want. I'm promising you that God has more and better in his mind for you. It might not be what you think it is. It might not look like you think it is, but it is much better because his name is Jesus and he's given him to us. And so I want to end with this, Hebrews chapter 12, and then a story, and I'm done. I'm sorry, Hebrews chapter 11, just to encourage some of you who may feel like you waited and waited and waited and waited and didn't get, and you hear stories like Hannah's, and you think, well, that's good for her, because me, I I prayed, and and God didn't answer, and my child died, and my, my family didn't get healed, and we're living on the streets, and I meet more homeless people in 2016 than I ever thought possible. People you wouldn't know are homeless. They show up to schools. Listen, they're classmates with your kids, and they don't have homes to live. I saw a patient two weeks ago. They live in a car. They go from homeless shelter to homeless shelter. She's diabetic, so she shows up with dirty insulin to the school. So now they're taking her into DCFS custody. This is normal for people in our world now. Some of you may be like that. You may be not homeless, but but whatever you wanted and you prayed for didn't happen. Listen, in Hebrews 11, it says this about the prophets. First, we get a list of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah and David and Samuel. All these who through faith conquered kingdoms and forced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, and on and on. These awesome, awesome things. And then you get to verse 36. And it says, others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. I just found out last, recently that Elijah was, I'm sorry, Isaiah. Isaiah was sawn in two. That's how he died. I did not know that. I've been in the church for four, 30 years, 40 years. Isaiah was sawn in two. That's how he died. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with a the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about the the deserts, in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves, listen, and and all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for them. You see, we have someone better. His name is Jesus and he's given us everything want I don't know about you but I hear the story of Hannah and I want to pray like Hannah prayed I want to pray prayers that move mountains I want to pray prayers that see answers I want to pray prayers that glorify the Lord I want to pray prayers that lead to surrender I want to pray prayers that matter I don't want to be like people who show up to prayer meeting and they're like in their mind they're thinking about what they're gonna do next week I want to pray things that are real I want to pray things that are deep and intimate in my heart I want to pour my heart to the Lord I don't want to be afraid anymore I want to resolve to pray I want to resolve to pray when I I feel like giving up knowing that God is at work even when I don't see the answer. I want to resolve to pray when I feel like giving up knowing that God is at work even when I don't see the answer. I want to end with this story. I promise this time. I'm not just saying I'm going to end. I really mean it. And then we're going to pray. And then and then I don't know if we have time for a small group. You can just take the questions and meet next week or something. But I want to tell you the story. It's probably my favorite story about prayer. And it is about George Mueller, which is probably one of the... Fathers of prayer. If you really want to look at an example of prayer, it's George Mueller. And it is in. I found it in this little book, "Streams in the Desert." If you have this devotional, and 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 basically, uh, one time he was on a ship, boarding, uh, going across the uh, Atlantic over to uh, to Canada, and 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 there was a huge storm, and they didn't look like they were going to make it on time. The captain was doing his best to get to where they were going on time, but but um, but but the storm was going to keep them from getting there. So George Mueller gets up uh, to the to the captain, finds him, and and says to him, "Captain, I need to tell you that I, mu- I must be in Quebec on Saturday." afternoon the captain says to him that's impossible i replied very well Mueller responded if your ship cannot take me god will find some other way for i have never missed an engagement in 57 years Mueller says to captain, let's go down to the chart room to pray i looked at this man the captain tells the story he says i looked at this man of god and thought to myself what lunatic asylum did he escape from people will think you're crazy when you pray bold prayers He says, I had never encountered someone like this. Mr. Mueller, I said, do you realize how dense the fog is? No, he replied. My eye is not on the dense fog, but on the living God who controls every circumstances in my life. It gets better. He says, he knelt down and prayed one of the most simple prayers I've ever heard. When he had finished, I started to pray, said the captain. But Mueller put his hand on my shoulder and told me not to pray. He said, first, you do not believe God will answer. And second, I believe he has. Consequently, there is no need whatsoever for you to pray about it. (laughs) As I looked at him, he said, Captain, I have known my Lord for 57 years. And there has never been a single day that I have failed to get an audience with the king. Get up, Captain, open the door, and you will see that the fog is gone. I got up, and indeed, the fog was gone. And on Saturday afternoon, George Mueller was in Quebec for his meeting. He prayed like Hannah prayed. He prayed like the great men and women in the Bible prayed. He prayed like I long to pray. And he prayed like I pray that we will all resolve today, that we would not quit in prayer, but that we would pray knowing that God is at work even when we don't see the answer. And so, God, we give you our prayers, our hearts, our deepest desires, Lord. God, we struggle with doubt. We struggle with fear. We struggle with our comfort zone. Oh, God, forgive us. Forgive us for not seeing you. God, for not seeing Jesus risen from the dead, for not understanding the victory that was given to us on the cross. God, I ask you to forgive us, Father, for living in the safety of our unanswered prayers. But not just unanswered prayers, Father, but unasked prayers. God, forgive us for giving up. Forgive us, Father, for coming to you with an attitude of skepticism. We believe that you died for us and rose again. And yet, Lord, in the things that matter the most in our lives, Father, for the woman here today who have no children, for those who have no husband, for those who have no job, Father, for those who have no home, for those who feel like they have no purpose. God, we open our hearts to you, healer of our soul and provider of our needs. God, we ask you to invade those parts of our heart that we have kept clogged away from you. Oh, Father, we ask you to find the relief that Hannah found in leaving our burdens with you. We confess that our faith is weak. It is, in some cases, not more than a mustard seed. But God, we pray that you would take that mustard seed and birth a mountain of fruit in our lives from it. God, we believe your name is glorified when we see you answer prayers. We believe your name is glorified when we give ourselves to you and surrender like Hannah did. That when we find you more worthy than those things that we deeply want, God, that the world will look in awe and say, who is this God who is worth more than a child? God, we do not make this stuff up. We cannot make it up, Father. You have put those thoughts in our hearts. And so, Lord, we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. God, we give you, Jesus, all that is in us and for us because we believe you are for us. And so, God, we surrender to you, Lord, that word. We surrender to you the very things that we deeply, deeply desire. God, you do above and beyond what we can ask or think. We don't know how. We don't know when. But we are confident, Lord. We are confident even now as we resolve to pray that you are a God who is good that you are a God who is long-suffering, that you are a God who understands our weaknesses and has made provision through the Lamb. And so we come in the name of Jesus. We access your throne with confidence, Lord, because of the shed blood of Jesus. Father, I pray for the woman here who needs encouragement today that you would pour, pour, pour your encouragement on her. And I pray, Father, for the one who doesn't know you in this fashion yet. Father, maybe there is a woman here who doesn't know you at all. Oh God, please remove the veil from her heart and help her to understand that you love her so much that you sent Jesus for the, on the cross to die for her sin so that the worst thing that she might have done is forgiven, God. Not overlooked, but forgiven with the blood that Jesus shed for us. And God, for those of us who call ourselves children of God, give us that confidence that we desperately need to shine in a world that is dark. God, give us eyes to look for eternity. Give us eyes to live expectantly, knowing, God, that you are coming back for us. Ready us, God. Wake us up. Teach us to pray. Teach us to pray. In Jesus' name I pray.